And we'll turn to Titus chapter 1. We're going to go down to verse number 11 today. And <clears throat> verses 10 and 11. Last week we looked at verse 10 uh, about those who are unruly. And we looked at a few things here. Uh, in verse 9 actually, the Bible says, Holding fast the faithful words as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. And the gainsayers, as we saw last week, again, were those who speak against the truth. Well, particularly here, it's against the truth, but the word gainsayer in the Bible, um, the original word, just means somebody who speaks against. But since the context here is talking about the Word of, of God, it's those who speak against the Bible. And who would do that? False prophets would. And uh, they use the Word of God many times, like Satan does, uh, for their advantage. But they're speaking against the truth. Uh, they can take the truth, twist it, and in es essence, they're speaking against it. So we see the contrast of, of good teachers. We see false teachers in verse 10. For there are many, uh, not just a few, there are many unruly, or those that have the spirit of rebellion. They're against the rules. Uh, we saw unruly last week was uh, undisciplined or insubordinate un, uh, or rebellious against the word of God and, his, and God and his truth. They didn't submit to the word, to the gospel. And they want to debate and criticize. They want to uh, misquote the Bible to twist the Bible into saying what it want, they want it to say. Many times, although we may not do that as far as uh, teaching false doctrine, we might in our own hearts adopt false doctrine because it goes, against, or it, goes, it goes against God's will, but ultimately the reason why we adopt it is because it goes with our desires. We desire to do something against God's word, and so we're going to listen sometimes to those who disagree with the Bible and agree with what we want to hear. So <clears throat> we see not only unruly in verse number 10, but there were people that were uh, vain talkers, um, saying and teaching things that amounted to nothing, worthless. Uh, the teaching helped nobody because the, the gospel is watered down. The word of God has great power, but when it's watered down, it is now uh, it, it has lost its power because it's been twisted and contorted and watered down into uh, being empty and vain. Then we see those that would deceive, mislead. They many times are misled themselves and they begin to mislead others, turning away from the truth, following after error, false belief. Then we see, uh, you see there verse 10, especially, uh, Paul says it this way, especially they of the circumcision. Uh, the circumcision, that was those that were uh, Jewish religion, uh, had followed Jewish religion. Uh, then as they became uh, followers of Jesus, they continued to tack on religion and uh, works. And uh, today we have many that are legalists. They are following religion, not Jesus. They're following, and when you follow religion, who are you following? You're following man. Man's teaching and man's thoughts and ideas with some Bible sprinkled in there. But again, as uh, if you go to court, if you stand before a judge, you're going to uh, promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, 
and nothing but the truth, right? And uh, what does that mean? That means withholding information can be considered deception. If you don't tell the whole truth, you're going to be a deceiver. And that's what he's talking about here. The many will twist scripture. They will begin to uh, say things that doesn't say. Just like the song we heard, tell the truth till the day you die. Tell the truth, never tell a lie. Integrity is so important when it comes, especially when it comes to this area of scripture. Uh, Titus 1.11, let's stand for the reading of God's word. So we have the premise of what's going on here. Paul is saying, hold fast to the word as you've been taught by the spirit of God. And he says, be careful, there's many that are gainsayers. They speak against the truth. They, he gives a whole description there in verse number 10. And then what does he say about them in verse 11? We'll just read one verse today. Let's read verse 11 together. Whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not, for filthy lucre's sake. Let's pray. Father, bless your word today. Thank you so much for truth. I pray that you'd help us to be truth seekers. Help us to be those that would point out error. First of all, in our own lives. Lord, our own um, presuppositions. We have prejudices in our life. We think a certain way because of the experiences that we've had. Help us to, as the Word of God challenges those, challenges those presuppositions and beliefs that might be wrong as the Word of God challenges us. Lord, help us to submit to the Word in your Spirit. Help us to have discernment, to know what is right, and then to do what is right. I pray that you bless your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. We see here that Paul says, their mouths must be stopped. Letter A last week, we saw those that oppose the truth. This week, it's letter B. Those uh, that oppose the truth must be rebuked. They must be rebuked. Their mouths, he said, need to be stopped or silenced. The false teaching should be stopped. He's not saying by physical force. The word stopped here means to muzzle or bridle. By reason, by argument, through truth, not physical force. But their teaching is misleading and erroneous, and so it needs to be stopped, dead in its tracks. False teachers must not be allowed to sow seeds of error. Now, we all have those that influence us. And then there are those that we influence. There are those that maybe in our life that we have the ability to restrain them from speaking false doctrine. Here in our church context, in our church, we're very careful who we allow to speak in the church who we allow to teach in the church. And uh, unfortunately, there are some churches that just let anyone and everyone speak or say something. Now, we, have, we love people, and we, we love to uh, encourage people to come to our services. And uh, we are not necessarily selective as to who can come to our church, but we're selective as to who can speak in our church because this is our area of influence. Um, we want to be careful who influences us and who influences our children. That's why if you have 
uh, a television in your home, you should be guarding as to what comes over that television. The same would apply to any other avenue or way that people could influence you, especially you, especially your children. Uh, the internet is a information highway, right? As they say, it's the information highway. And not all the information is good information. And so we need to put a guard on that as well. There are ways to filter what comes in through the internet. Be careful, number one, letting your children have unfettered access to the internet. Uh, this is not just about false doctrine. This applies to so many areas of our life. This, even if you weren't a believer, you would be wise to not let your children, even the world knows, to not let their children watch, observe, read everything that is on that information highway. But especially here, we that have the truth and we that have been um, given this knowledge and information, the light of the gospel, we have come to Jesus Christ in salvation. We know better. We know not to let anything and everything influence us or our children, our families. And so put a guard on that information. You should know what your children are looking at on the internet. Not really hearing a lot of amens this morning. I hope that you're doing that. I hope that you understand um, the necessity to, uh, to have an oversight in your children's life. So many parents today are afraid of their children. They're afraid of their uh, teenagers, which I could understand that. Teenagers can be uh, very, uh, they can be intimidating because they are, uh, they're older, they're bigger. But how about your five-year-olds, your three-year-olds? There should no, be no reason that you as a parent are intimidated by a five-year-old or a six-year-old. You should be uh, authoritative in that child's life. If they are in, in your house, if they're under your roof, you have every right to be that authority. God has given you that right. God gave you not only the right, but that responsibility to lead your children and to uh, protect their life. You're not just responsible for their physical needs. You're responsible for their emotional and their spiritual well-being. So take the oversight. Take the responsibility that God has given to you and uh, ask God for boldness. Ask God for courage. But if you have a, a teenager in your house that has a phone that's unfiltered, that you don't know what they're watching, you don't know what they're looking at, you don't know what information they're getting, you have that right today, and you have that responsibility to go in and to take control, take back control of that area. You need to know what's going on because you're the one that's going to be held accountable. I understand it's scary at times to, uh, to confront. We live in a society that does not like to be confronted and that also does not like to confront we have a lot of people that uh, have abdicated their responsibilities as bosses, as parents, as teachers, as, yea, even pastors, as leaders. God, if God has given you a place of influence and responsibility, you have to learn how to confront in love and to be bold and courageous because it is your responsibility uh, to lead. 
The Bible says in Hebrews to obey them that have the rule over you. Why? For they watch over your souls. Uh, We need to obey those that have that responsibility. But remember, if you have the responsibility of watching over souls, you have to be willing to confront. So their uh, teachings were misleading. Uh, Therefore, they needed to be restrained. Do you automatically believe everything that you hear? (laughs) Uh, Do you know that people do lie? (laughs) People do uh, lie about good people. Bad people lie about good people. Did you know that? They don't, they don't just lie about bad people. They lie about good people. Um, back in uh, the first century, uh, what started the first persecution of Christians, it was Nero, the, uh, the Caesar of Rome. He told a big lie. Nero burned Rome, according to history, and he needed a scapegoat. He was uh, in, the, in a vast remodeling project. He wanted to get rid of the slums. And so he, uh, he lit them on fire. And uh, he burned Rome. The plan backfired on him. And uh, no pun intended. It backfired on him, and he began to uh, figure out who he would put the blame on. And so he said, let's blame the Christians. And so this started the started some persecution uh, of the church. And so Nero, uh, Nero was willing to lie about good people. Bad people lie about those who are good. And bad people also lie about themselves, saying that they are good. They lie about being good. God instructs us to test the teaching of the teacher. Be willing to confront those that are, uh, that are misleading, those that are uh, teaching false doctrine. Be willing to confront. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, prove all things. What does that word prove mean? Uh, it means to test. Test all things. Don't just take uh, somebody's word for it. We have the Bible. We have a way to test and to prove. Is this teaching truth or is this false doctrine? Too many people are willing to just follow blindly the church or follow blindly a pastor, follow blindly some leader, and yet we have a way of testing whether this person is right or wrong. Be willing to prove all things. 1 John 4, 1. If you would, turn there. Let's turn there. That way we have, because uh, we're going to look at three verses in 1 John 4. But we'll look at just verse 1 to begin with. 1 John 4, 1. Okay, now some people will say, where is 1 John? It's in the very, very back of your Bible. It's right before Revelation. Uh, there's the book of Jude as well. You can stay in that whole area because we'll look at a few verses First, we'll look at 1 John chapter 4. Now, this isn't to be confused with the Gospel of John. There's the four Gospels. The Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay, good. And then there's the three epistles, or letters. 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, John. 
And then there's the book of Revelation that was written by John. Okay, I love how John gives us a historical view of, of, of the gospel. He tells about Jesus in the gospel of John. Then he gives instructions in the present in the epistles or letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And then he gives a picture of the future in the book of Revelation. He actually references all those books in the book of Revelation, past, present, and future. But we're looking at 1st John, and he talks a lot about false teachers, a lot of practical wisdom here in these books. Um, 1st John chapter 4, he says, Beloved, and now when John says beloved, or when somebody in the Bible says beloved, who are they referring to? They're referring to those that are the beloved, those that are saved, right? The believers. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they be or whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Many false prophets uh, just like in Titus chapter 1, verse 10, there are many false prophets. And so uh, we can't just turn a blind eye to this issue. We need to be engaged and we need to be uh, uh, knowledgeable that there is false teaching everywhere. It abounds. And so he says here in 1 John chapter 4, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits. Uh, we saw that word in 1 Thessalonians of prove all things. That means test. Try means test, right? Uh, try the spirits, uh, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. So we see here in Matthew chapter 24, hold your place here in 1 John. Uh, if you want to turn to Matthew, you can, or I'll read it. If you are not able to turn real quickly, just listen as I read. Matthew chapter 24, verse number 4. Now this is Jesus speaking. Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Basically saying, listen up. Take heed. Listen. Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. As I said earlier, that there are those that deceive. They themselves many times, they're deceiving, but they themselves are deceived. Uh, those that are deceived, deceive others. Uh, we see that with false doctrine. They get uh, caught up in some teaching and uh, maybe it re resonates with them somehow, but it's still against the scriptures, so it should be rejected. However, they adopt that false teaching, they begin to teach it to other people. Uh, we got to be careful about this. But he says there, and uh, he says in Matthew 24, Many shall come in my name, and say, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Jesus said one of the marks of the last days is that uh, it'll be a time of great deception. Many people in 2023 have been deceived. They are spiritually deceived. And you might be saying, well, that's concerning. Well, good, I'm glad that you see that as a problem. But what do we do about this? Well, there's some things that we can do. Uh, how do we test 
as he says there in 1 John, try the spirits. How do we test those that are prophets, those that are teachers? Um, here's some, some ways. Number one, take some notes today. I didn't hand out notes this morning, but if you would take some notes, this will be helpful to you, I hope. You can probably put these in your margin, neither 1 John 4 or Titus in our text there in 1 uh, uh, Titus chapter 1, verse 11. The first thing is, test prophets teachers or prophets, whatever you want to write there, test them by their motive, by their motive. Again, hold your place in 1 John 4. I'm going to go to 2 Peter. If you want to turn there, you can. You might be swimming this morning saying, where in the world is 2 Peter? Well, just go to the book of 1 John if you're there and turn a page towards the front of the Bible and you'll probably find 2 Peter. 2 Peter Chapter number 2, verses 2 and 3. The Bible says here, And many, do you see a pattern? Many. <laughs> There's a lot of people that are deceived. Many shall follow their pernicious ways. By reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not and their damnation slumbereth not. So we see that uh, we need to test these prophets, test, test them by their motive. What is the motivation of the preacher? What is the motivation of the teacher? Are they motivated by filthy lucre as we see there in uh, Titus chapter 1. Again, you're probably swimming like where in the world are we at? But our text there is in Titus 1.11. He says their mouths need to be stopped and he gives a whole uh, explanation of, of what they're doing. They're subverting whole houses. They're teaching things that ought not to be taught, essentially. But he says their motivation for filthy lucre's sake. What is motivating a false prophet or a prophet? If it's filthy lucre, I guarantee you they are a false prophet. What is filthy lucre? Well, we know that the Bible talks about money, doesn't it? And some people have said, well, money is the root of all evil. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. And you can see that borne out in the whole world. Do you, do you see crime? Do you see some kind of a, 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 a horrible act or a, some kind of a... Uh, a, a plot or scheme or, you know, some corruption. What do people say? Follow the money. You'll find the motive. You'll find where it all started. Most of the time, it ties back to some kind of greed, doesn't it? The love of money is the root of all evil. And so uh, we can look very, very quickly at, at somebody and say, well, what is their motivation? Is it money? Well, then they're a false prophet. False prophets are always covetous. They uh, talk slick. They deceive many. They're, I'm not saying that they aren't talented. I'm not saying that they aren't charismatic in their message. I'm not saying that they aren't somehow uh, appealing. They are. But their motivation is, uh, is money. Uh, then we see number two, test prophets by their morals. You have to watch their, mo their motive, but also you need to look at their morals. 
I told you we were, I think I told you we were going to look at Jude. So go to Jude, all right? That's the book between uh, first, or third John, I should say. We saw first John, second John, third John. The book of Jude. And then Revelation. But Jude, and there's only one chapter, so we'll look at verse number, uh, verse number four. Verse number four. Their morals. The Bible says here in verse four, for there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turned in the grace of our God into lasciviousness. The grace of our God is a wonderful thing. We sing about the amazing grace. We could get excited about that this morning, amen? That's something to get excited about. But it's sad to say that some people have turned the grace of God into immorality, into lasciviousness, self, uh, self-gratification in some form or another. They are uh, using the gospel as a way uh, to, be, uh, to get into somebody's life, to influence them. And uh, the Bible says that, uh, that uh, lasciviousness, that immorality... And uh, they will twist the, the gospel even to say, well, you can be saved, but also just live however you want to live. Now, we understand it's the grace of God. It's all of God, none of us that, you know, we, we don't deserve to go to heaven. We have not earned our way into heaven. We cannot buy our way into heaven. It's all of God's grace. And so it's not based on our works, not based on merit. But I'm telling you right now, if you know the grace of God, there is something in your life that will change. We talked last week about the works. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves, the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But we are his, verse 10 of uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, but we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So after you're saved by grace, by grace are you saved through faith. Praise God, there was a day that I was able to come to God and, uh, and, and by my, my faith alone received the work of Jesus Christ, his grace upon my life. Jesus died on the cross. He shed his blood for our sins. And there's nothing you can add to that that would ever, uh, that would ever satisfy the wrath of God. Jesus already satisfied God's wrath on the cross. We just have to access the grace of God through our faith. Faith is that key that op- opens the door to God's grace. And uh, Jesus came into my life. Uh, I received the, f- the grace of God. He washed my sins away. Praise God for that. But guess what? If Jesus comes into your life, the Holy Spirit is there. He is, he is abiding in you. He is uh, residing in you. Something begins to change. The work of God begins in your life. That day of salvation was an ending and a beginning. It was the ending of the old life and it was beginning of a new life. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new. It's a picture of the grace of God and uh, salvation. 
justification, all of those things that happen on the day of salvation. Uh, the grace of God was there, but the grace of God did not stop on that day. It continues on in our growth spiritually, our sanctification and uh, sanctified. You are a saint. That's what it means. You're set apart now. You were lost, now you're found. You were uh, on your way to hell. You were damned, going to hell. You were outside the family of God, but because of God's grace, you can be placed into the family of God. It's him that does all the work, but it's your choice. Do you receive God's grace or do you reject God's grace? But now as you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, as Peter says, we begin to change by God's grace. I always love it when people say, well, I stopped doing such and such, maybe some addiction. And then they add, by the grace of God, because it was not I who stopped that. It's God who stopped uh, allowed me to stop doing whatever you can uh, fill in the blank. And I'm going to tell you this morning, you need to continue that growth. Don't say, well, there's no way that I could ever stop drinking. There's no way I could ever stop smoking. There's no way I could ever stop these drugs. There's no way I ever could, could stop doing this, that, and the other. It's by God's grace. And if God can, uh, if God can do something, you can, by God's grace, stop whatever, fill in the blank. It is God who does it. We serve the God of the impossible. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. It is him that can enable us. He is the one that helps us, that gives us the power. So test the prophet by their morals. There's many people that say, well, I'm saved, so I can just live however I want to live. Well, that is a, a sad excuse for a Christian, because as a Christian, you should want to grow and to change. That's why I wonder, are they really saved? <laughs> if you want to go back to the hog pen where you got pulled out of, why in the world would you want to do that? Other than you are just bound still to your sin. Man, God wants to change your life. Isn't there a desire in your heart to change and to grow? Isn't there something inside of you that says, I, I don't desire that old life anymore? By the way, we can't boast in any changes that made other than boast in the grace of God, but, but man, I, I want to change. I want to be different. And by the way, there are times where temptation comes in and, and uh, you might fall, but I thank God for 1 Corinthians, uh, I'm sorry, 1 John 1, 9, uh, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, that, that, that's written to the believer. And so when you fall, when you, uh, when you sin, confess that sin to God and get back on the path uh, towards living for the Lord. But test the problem. You look at these people, if their motivation is money, if they're uh, immoral, there's been more than one uh, false prophet that's been immoral. There is a uncanny connection, relationship between false, a false prophet and immorality. You look at any of the televangelists of the, uh, you know, looked 20, 30 years ago, and you see one after another after another who were in it for the money, they were in it for, uh, for self, and uh, they were found out to be immoral. Number three, we see testing prophets by their fruit. Test teachers' ministry by fruit. Matthew chapter 7. We'll look at verses 15 and 16 here. Matthew 7, verses 15 and 16. 
you want to test a prophet or a teacher, bring up anybody that you are influenced by. You need to look into their life. It is fair for you to, to look into their life and to test, test them by the word of God. If they are teaching you and influencing you, or if you are allowing your family to be influenced by somebody, you need to test this prophet. Test them. Verses 15 and 16, Matthew 7. Jesus writes here, Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their, what's the next word? Fruits. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Test the prophet by their fruit or their ministry. Check out those that, uh, those who are the fruit of their ministry. Measure those who are following that pastor or that prophet, the teacher. Like pastor, like people. Like prophet, like followers. You will know the kind of teacher based on who is following them, based on the change in that life, based on if there is a change in the people that are following them. You look at any number of these mega churches, and I'm not saying all of them are like this, but, but you look at the vast, I should say, the vast majority of, a me, of mega churches, these huge, huge, huge churches, and I'm not saying that every one of them is this way. But many of them are filled with people who have no life change. No life change. Maybe they cleaned up the outside, but there's nothing really going on as far as the Holy Spirit's work, as far as transforming, as far as the, uh, the uh, power of God in that church. You see people that come in the, the one way and they leave the same. They bring, bring all of that junk in with them and they don't change. Because, because of the gospel message being watered down, if they even use a Bible, it's sad to say that many pastors aren't even using the word of God. They're putting that aside and they're adopting some kind of philosophy or worldly, uh, worldly uh, teaching. It's not about self-help. It's about being changed into the image of Jesus Christ. That is, again, we talked about this last week, but that, is the, that should be uh, the motivation of the messenger is to see people's lives changed, transformed by the power of God. So look at the fruit. What is going on in that person's ministry? Uh, then number four today, we need to test prophets by their message. We look at the scripture, the gospel. Are they using the word of God uh, rightly? First John chapter four, and I told you we'd come back here, but uh, stick with me, a couple more minutes, but first John chapter number four, verses two and three. I try not to jump around in scriptures too much because uh, it's just, it's a lot to do. And, but yet scripture, comparing scripture with scripture is good, and so these support texts, I think, are important. 
First John chapter 4, verse number 2. We looked at verse 1. Try the Spirit, see whether they be, are of God, because many false prophets are going out into the world. Read verse 2 with me. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, wherefore ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. There's a spirit in this world that is Antichrist. And that word anti means against. Against. They have set themselves up against Jesus Christ. Or instead of. Uh, it means both of those things. Um, that's the way Satan does his work. Satan is against Christ. So he brings a substitute in. He brings something that is a cheap knockoff. There are plenty of people who uh, espouse Jesus. They say the name Jesus. They, uh, they put Jesus in their teaching in one form or fashion. Uh, you see many of the world religions, they have Jesus there, but they deny the power of God. They say Jesus is not the Son of God. He is not deity. He is not equal with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He, uh, Jesus isn't God, is what they teach. Uh, he is a prophet. He is, uh, he is a part of their teaching. He's a good, uh, a good prophet or a good teacher, but he is not God, they say. And so that is Satan's teaching. Uh, test the prophet, test the teacher by their message. Are they preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are they preaching uh, Jesus? Second uh, Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4. All right, there's two good verses here in Second Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 4. Paul writes here in verse 4, uh, for if he that cometh preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if he receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. But then you look at verse number 14. You see that? 2 Corinthians 11 and verse number 14. The Bible says, uh, we'll, we'll read verse... Uh, Verse 13, for such are false prophets, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. There are many that look the part. They might call themselves a Christian. They might say, well, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. But they are far from a child of God. They don't know the scriptures. They don't follow Jesus. They don't have any kind of understanding of who Jesus is. He is just, uh, he is a figurehead. He is a person that they know of, a name that, they, uh, that they've heard before. But he is not their savior. They say, uh, Paul says here in verse number 13, uh, false prophets, deceitful workers, they transform themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Now, you know, we preach here at Souls Harbor, transformation. That means going from darkness to light. That means from going from unbelief to belief in Jesus. 
and trust and faith in Jesus Christ and, and the grace of God as we've already talked about today. But there's a big difference between being transformed into, a child, into believing in Christ and transformed to the image of Christ as Romans chapter, uh, Romans um, uh, 8 says. There's a big difference between that kind of transformation that God does and the kind of transformation that Satan does. Satan's transformations are all superficial. It's all on the outside. It's to look the part. A lot of people want to look like they have the truth. But you need to dig below the surface. Who do they really believe in? Who do they really teach? What is the message that they are espousing? Look at the message. Look at the morals. Look at their motivation. Look at uh, their fruit. What are they producing? Because uh, many people can say, say the right things, but their life does not back up what they're saying. Now, I believe there are some people who get saved and their life uh, does not transform and change like I believe that God probably... His will is for them to change. There are some people that maybe were saved for 10 years, and uh, the first five years, they didn't grow spiritually. But praise God for the last five years, where they submitted to the Lord, and the Holy Spirit's work in their life, and they began to develop and grow spiritually. Praise God for that. There are some people who have been saved for 20 years, and uh, they still have not grown spiritually to where they ought to be. But I do believe that there should be some evidence somewhere in that person's life that they are a believer. There are plenty of people who say, well, I made a decision, I went forward, I shook a hand, I got into the baptistry, I signed a card, I, I joined a church, I did all of these things. Those things do not indicate that that person is truly a believer in Jesus Christ. We're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, love, Joy, peace. Is there peace in their life? Is there true joy in their life? Is there love for the brethren? Is there a love for Jesus? Is there a love for the word somewhere, in some way? Is there a desire in their heart to follow Jesus Christ? Is there some patience and long-suffering with people? Is there some kind of change somewhere? Gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness. Now, there's some people that will take a message like this and they will become so introspective and they say, maybe I'm not saved because I'm not where I ought to be. Well, my friend, I'm going to tell you right now, none of us have arrived. None of us are really where we ought to be. But you've got to get your feet going in the right direction. If you're saying, well, my life isn't where it ought to be, but I know I got saved, praise God for that. But commit that to the Lord today and say, Lord, help me by your grace. I will do what's right. I will begin to get into your word. I will begin to submit to your spirit. Help me to grow. And that's a prayer that I believe God will answer. But I'm telling you right now, if there's never been a time in your heart where you know that you went from darkness to light, where you uh, put your faith and trust and total dependence in Jesus Christ, it wasn't about the baptism, it wasn't about membership, but there was a, a trust, a dependence upon Jesus Christ. If you haven't done that today, and the Holy Spirit is convicting you, say you need to get saved, you need to turn to Jesus, you've got to stop trying all these other things in life, all these other religions, but you need to come to Jesus Christ and him alone and have a relationship with God. That's what the Bible says. What does the Bible say? Not what does the church say. What does the Bible say? Amen. That's going to keep you out of trouble. Keep you out of trouble. Not what does my pastor say. What does the Bible say? Now, if he's following the Bible, he'll say it. Amen. 
But what does the Bible say? Scripture has authority above every person. The word of God should be preeminent above all. What does the Bible say? If you have not trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I plead with you this morning to place your dependence upon Jesus. Come to Jesus. First John chapter 4. We saw that test there. We saw that in 2 Corinthians 11. Many people transform themselves by Satan's design into looking the part. Be careful, be careful, be careful who you watch, who you listen to. Be careful who you allow to influence your life. Be careful who you allow to influence your children's life. Put a guard, put a guard on all of those uh, ways, all of the ways that uh, communication is received in your home. Know who your children's friends are. Be careful of what they, uh, who they are associating with because there's influence, influence in the classroom, influence out in the community, influence at the workplace, influence even at church. You might say, well, I come to church and everyone's good there, everyone. Not necessarily. Now we do what we can to make sure that uh, everyone is, we watch over things as much as we can here, but I'm telling you right now, there are some times where people are just not right with the Lord and they can be a bad influence. Do everything you can to be a positive influence, but be careful, be careful who influences you in your life. Father, I pray that you'd help us. Lord, there's, as you've told us, there's many false prophets in this world, many false teachers. God, there's bad influences on every hand. With, uh, with the internet, there are many, many uh, teachers that have, um, have been given a platform and uh, very easily we can be influenced. Father, I pray that you'd help us with the books that we read, the videos that we watch, or the, uh, the files that we listen to, whatever it is, whatever way that we consume media. Father, I pray that you'd help us to put a guard over our soul. We know that it's the Spirit of God. It's your Spirit who will guide us into truth. And we need a test. We need a test. Where, uh, where th- what is the motivation? What is the message being taught? Father, I pray that you would help us to be so submitted to your spirit that uh, we can sense when there's false doctrine. I pray that you'd help us not be wishy-washy in our associations. Father, I understand. You know, Lord, you've given to me friendships with good people that uh, we disagree with on things theologically. But Father, I pray that you would help us to understand and discern that those friendships can influence and do influence us. Help us to put a guard, a guard uh, in our life that says we cannot, we cannot believe that. We cannot follow after that kind of teaching. We can be a friend to somebody. We can be encouragement and influence to them. But Father, help us to be discerning. Lord, I know that today there are some here that, uh, or maybe some that are listening that are not saved. They've not truly received salvation yet. 
But God, you are speaking to them because you love them. And you are, uh, you are ministering to them in a way that none of us could right now. You are speaking to their heart. And so, Father, I pray that the, as the work of the Spirit continues, that this time of invitation would be uh, a time that they would be transformed spiritually from an unbeliever to somebody who has put their faith and trust in Jesus and now has a relationship with you the only way they could. And that's because of Jesus dying on the cross for their sins and them receiving that free gift. So I pray, Father, that you would uh, continue the work through this time of invitation, that they would get saved today. We could rejoice with them uh, because all of us are in the same place. We all need, we all need the grace of God. So I do pray that you would uh, just uh, continue the work in this invitation. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand.